Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and we've got another great episode lined up for today. Today's guest is a change and transformation senior manager at Cal Corporation. Please welcome to the show, Danielle Harris-Thompson. Good morning, Danielle. Hi, Justin. I'm very excited to have you here today. Uh, You and I met now several months ago. We had a heck of a time getting scheduled for the show, so (laughs) I'm really excited that we finally uh, were able to get this on the books. Me too. Thanks so much for the invitation. Excellent. Well, let's uh, let's start off as we always do and get your take on what you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce today. Yeah. So um, think about this question. I have like three, four, five things that pop in my head. So <laughs> Let, let's hear them. Really it's really hard for me to not go into a ramble on this, but I do think I think they're all connected. And I think um, kind of the thread through that is cognitive overload. I feel like everybody that you run into these days is cognitively overloaded. And um, it means we're asked, everything's harder. It makes everything harder and we're asking a lot. Um, And I think all the other things in there are things that you probably hear from a lot of the other people you talk talk with, um, other organizations. But I think that overload makes things more challenging. We talk about filtering communication. Um, It means we have to simplify the messages even more so than we typically do. Um, Maintaining uh, connections is even harder as we move to more hybrid environments. And so now we have to reach out more. We have to make more of an effort to maintain those connections. And resilience is just lower for everybody after the past couple of years, right? And so our ability to just to pivot, to respond to change, to engage in change is all really low. And I think that cognitive overload is just making all of that more challenging for our, for our workers. I think everything you've said makes sense. And I'm going to let you pass because I asked for the single biggest challenge you see <laughs> and you gave us a whole laundry list, but I agree with you. They're all stitched together as, as part of one overall theme. So I'm curious to hear how you think this actually plays out though. So let, let's agree that these are all issues that frontline workforce is experiencing, but how does it actually play out? Like, what are the repercussions of maybe not addressing these things, of not filtering communication, of not simplifying the message? Like, what happens when we don't do that right? Well, I think the the biggest part of that is, you know, we all know that our frontline workers are the ones who determine whether or not a change is successful. The ones who have to adopt and adapt to the change, and they will completely, their behavior completely reshapes whether or not the change is going to be successful. So if they are not engaging in it, if they don't have the the resilience to even care, (laughs) to pay attention to the communication that's coming in, to engage with their teams, um, to be able to filter through everything, to participate in the journey, then that means everything's going to be pretty unsuccessful. It makes it harder to engage them in the journey and bring them along the change. Yeah. I, so I don't think I've heard anybody say it the way that you just did. And it's really interesting. 
that to, to just say back to you, frontline workers are the ones who determine if the change is successful. And I think you're spot on. And yet I don't, I, I really don't think I've heard it said that way before. And so I, I a lot of times in the, on this show, we're saying, well, what can we do as we're not necessarily the men and women on the front lines ourselves, but we're all involved in some way in helping them. But at the end of the day, they have to take some responsibility for that change being successful too. I think it's our job. I'd like to get your take on this, but I feel like it's our job to prepare them, to enable them, to empower them, to give them the tools that they need. But ultimately they have to assume responsibility for making that change um, successfully as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if the, you know, I try to tell people if I do training for business, because sometimes we do um, training for our leaders on just change management skills and helping them develop the, the skills to lead their teams through change. And we talk about ROI, which is always the hard part of change management, right? Of the, the measurement piece of it and helping the business understand the ROI. But we also have to recognize if that what are the expected benefits of this and the expected project benefits, you know, if no employee change is needed for this to be successful, then we don't have to worry about it. But how many projects are really happening across organizations that don't require any change in employee behavior? Um, you know, I'm part of the CIO's organization, part of the IT organization, which is a unique, but also a great place for change management to sit. Um, and every now and then we have a few back office changes that are not going to affect employees, but the majority of them, it's like if people don't use this tool, if they are not understanding what this tool is about or this new process change, we're, all of the costs that we're putting into this, financial, people's time, people's attention, it's, it's for not. What's the point if we're not going to think about the people side of it up front as we're planning for it? Yeah. There was a post on LinkedIn this morning that was talking about these kinds of uh, changes and, and about the importance of really understanding the consequences of not making that change effectively. Mm -hmm. And as I thought about my response to that post this morning, I was thinking about how a lot of the consequences are very individual, personal, emotional, um, but those aren't the things that will justify changing behavior inside the organization, right? So uh, we have to think about what are those things that are more objective and quantifiable that the organization can get behind that right. can justify yeah. that. Yeah. Even the amount of rework. I think that's one of the things people is the amount of rework you have to spend I've had projects where a company has completely relaunched something and it's like, now we're going to bring in change management for this relaunch because people are not using the tool and we're not getting the rates of adoption that we wanted. It's like, well, yeah, maybe we should have thought about that up front because now you're completely redoing project plans. You're, you're redesigning parts of the system because you didn't ask people about the features and functionality they needed before you built it. So I think even those things, those are big impacts, you know? I have adopted an expression that I've learned from all of my new change management friends that we've had on the podcast now that you're going to pay for change management one way or another. You're either going to pay for it up front or you're going to pay for it in the yeah. long run and it'll probably be a lot that. more, right? right. And, and I think that's fantastic. So it's, it's yeah. going to happen or you're going to yeah. be unsuccessful, right? Or, or the project will fail and, and you'll look yeah. at it and you'll probably blame the software vendor and you'll blame a bunch of other things that truly weren't impactful, but they're easy yeah. to point your finger at. Oh, well, the right. software wasn't easy enough to use or the integration didn't work right or a whole bunch of other excuses that will come up. When in reality, if we really track that back to the root cause, 
in more cases than not, we'll find that the, the people side of that change was not handled well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're right. It's, it's interesting to, to say, well, we can come back and, and do the rework. The, the other area of rework, and this is where I actually thought you were going. This is where we hear a lot of our clients in my day job at Skillful talking about when people aren't using the technology, right. Particularly with frontline workers, because one of the things that's unique to them is that when mistakes are made by the men and women in the front line, they often have to go back and now keep doing their job, right? They have to make another delivery. They have to make another field service call. They have to serve another client. When they make mistakes in the software, the rework of, or the remediation of those mistakes are often made by other people in the back office. Mm -hmm. And that is one of those real, real costs to large business. That's really hard to track. And I haven't heard of many examples yet of people really being able to track it like down to the dollars of saying, what is all of that rework on the back end? So I think you're, what you were expressing with rework is reworking the project implementation, right? Yeah. And, and that side of the rework, which is also incredibly valid. But then when we have these adoption and, and the way that, uh, you know, technology adoption problems, the way that they're often paid for <laughs> is by the, the men and women on the back office that are having to rework a lot of that data. What are your thoughts on that? I to- totally agree. Totally agree with you. And I think, you know, now we're pulling more people off work, right? Yeah. So, so much work was done up front to try to minimize the impact of how many people were pulling off the job. But yeah, now we have to clean up crew on the yeah. back end who are going to help fix everything. Um, and there's also the impact of the trust that everyone's lost in the system and the process now. So that's also part of the, I love the, you know, pay for change management now, pay for it later, because when you pay for it later, it will be more because not only are we helping you implement this, but we're also cleaning up the problems. We have to rebuild trust in this system that, that we didn't have to do in the beginning. Yeah. And we have, you know, even some of those issues, we're dealing with some of those things on programs with ourselves now, you know, within our organization now that we really are trying to do a bit of a relaunch. And there is a, a trust piece there for members of our sales organization on, okay, we have to step back and, and help you understand why this tool is helpful for you. It's not competition. It's not, you know, what, what is the strategic component for you? And, um, it, it's it's significant. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Justin. I don't think people think about how much due diligence needs to be done on the people side before projects get started. Yeah, right up until everything hits the fan, and then <laughs> and then everything becomes a little yeah. bit more obvious that it's not going right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I, I let us go too far down the path of starting to get into. Uh, you know, giving our audience some some real ways to think about change initiatives going on in their organization. Let's take a step back and and introduce you to our audience and let them know uh, who they're hearing from today. So, give us a little a little bit about your background and the journey that's led to you ending up at uh, Cal Corporation. Yeah, so um, I feel like I'm in this minority of people who went into change management intentionally on purpose. All right, you may on be the purpose, first right? on the show. <laughs> Uh, I, I always say people people didn't grow up wanting to be change management professionals, but maybe you did. <laughs> uh, yeah, not from a wee lad, I wanted to get <laughs> that far back. But um, but I did study organization development and change management. That's what I got my master's degree in. Um, but uh, I got my undergrad in psychology. 
and was always just interested in people and behavior, but I knew I didn't want to go into therapy. And so I got really interested in the idea of like business psychology and helping people enjoy their work. So that was my, what is the, what is the field of psychology? I would ask my counselor in college, what's the field of psychology that's about helping people enjoy their work. And that's when he introduced me to org psych, organizational psychology. Um, I went into, right out of college, I went into research and development and really did more work around um, qualitative research. And that was largely frontline work. So that was all about understanding expert performers and how do we take their expertise and transfer it to less experienced people so we can kind of shorten that learning curve. So all of my work was like, you know, sitting next to a control room operator and seeing how he used his screens, what information is he looking at, what matters, and building that into training programs for less experienced control room operators, or the same thing with officers or physicians, or so we really worked in a lot of kind of high priority fields, but it was always being a qualitative researcher, it was talking directly with the person. Um, and I always enjoyed that, learning their work. And so uh, for me, it was staying in that field of organizational. And I started learning about change management um, as a field. And I thought about doing, you know, industrial psychology, but that's a lot more about measurement. And that's just not my, I'm like, that's the, I work with people who are really good at measurement. <laughs> so for a reason, I'm really interested on the journey. Like how do we design a journey that makes people feel engaged, help them understand why this is happening. Like, I, I'm interested in the behavioral side of it. What are the behaviors we need people to do, need them to change? How can we help them do that? And change management provided more of that. Um, and so that's why I went into a change organization development change program for my master's uh, degree. So I did that while I was doing the research and development role. Um, and I also recognize that it's funny as I was thinking about this, I kind of made this connection for the first time for myself, Justin, was that change management connects to my service orientation. Like for me, it's about being a servant change leader. Um, and I think change management is very much a service field. So, um, so that part of the work appeals to me the most. And um, after I finished, you know, I worked at that R&D organization for about 10 years. And then I went to a consulting firm and worked as an external consultant in change management um, for about nine years in that consulting firm, uh, leading the practice around change management and moving more from, in the research uh, organization, it was more government and Department of Defense and moved more to commercial. Uh, organizations. And I was there for about nine years and then moved to this internal role uh, at Cal, where I lead the global change management. And so, you know, I tell people I either left the dark side or went to it, depending <laughs> about consulting. It's my first time being internal. So after yeah. two years of consulting, I decided to go internal. <laughs> so. Well, let's touch on that for a second. What, yeah. What's something that's different for you as an insider now versus being an external consultant working in other organizations? Uh, I think one part of it is just like the, the level of depth you can go within the organization and seeing so many more, um, I think, connections and ripples of the projects that you don't always get to see as a consultant. And um, particularly being in a global organization, the way one project impacts many departments, many roles um, across our different locations and regions. And, uh, you know, the other part, always being a consultant is once you go live and you're gone. You don't necessarily know <laughs> what happens. Um, you know, did, 
did the frontline workers get the benefit that we hoped they did? Or is it improving their work? Are they building on it? It's, so you don't really get to see that and get to be part of the continue, continuation. So uh, that was definitely one thing I wanted, one reason I wanted to go internal to be able to stay more connected to the work going forward. Uh, so yeah, those are the two biggest. You just said something that really struck a chord with me because I, I actually am frustrated that I don't think many of the companies I've worked around throughout my career do a good job, even internally, regardless of whether it's external or internal folks, you know, professionals that are involved of measuring the effectiveness of the programs that they're implementing. And I'm curious about your take. So if that's something that maybe you witnessed or was you were frustrated by as a consultant that you couldn't dig in deep with your R&D background and you really wanted to go see, okay, what's, what's the future state, what worked and what didn't, how is that affecting you today in your organization? Like, what are you doing to really assess and report on the effectiveness of, of the change that you're helping to implement? Yeah, it's actually the priority focus this year for our center of excellence is adoption and sustainment. Um, not only for our change uh, center of excellence, but our entire kind of department and organization is making sure the things we're rolling out are being adopted. So we are building out uh, a very formal program to get more specific around the adoption measures and the follow-up with the business. And I think one of the, the key things around adoption and sustainment is that it has to be a partnership and keeping having the business be part of the plan for adoption and sustainment. I think we get so focused on the project itself and getting to go live. And then we go live and everyone's like, next project. And there are no owners after go live because the project is being done by vendors and partners often. And then it ends and we don't know who in the business owns any of this stuff. And so, you know, part of what we're doing is upfront before we kick off a project, we're trying to get more formal about saying, hey, who from the business owns XYZ? We're going to because when we have a kickoff meeting, we're going to say, Justin, you're leading, you know, you're you're in charge of business process documentation after go live, right? So we're trying to get- Yeah, but Danielle, we're still just in the project phase. This isn't my job yet. Hey, <laughs> uh, in six months when we go live, it's going to be your job. So yep. we have six months to get you ready. You know, and that's part of it, right? If we have the conversations early, then through the course of the project, we should be, the people that we said are going to be owning things, they should be part of testing. They should be part of training. They should be part of process definition. So when we go live, they're ready to roll. Um, so that's one part of what we're trying to do. We're also developing more formal 60, 90, one-year checkpoints with the business and defining what specifically are going to check in at each of those points. 60 days post go live. Hey, what's the feedback we're getting from your change champions? Because we do try to have change networks as part of most of our strategic projects and more of our projects if possible. So continue to get feedback from our change champions. What are we hearing? Do we have adopters? Do we have people who are having issues and concerns? You know, at 90 days, let's talk about KPIs. If there are things we need to pull from the help desk, is the help desk getting a lot of tickets on things we need to follow up on? That will be our 90 day. You know, a year later, did we achieve the business KPIs? Are, are we seeing what we expect to see? So this is the plan we're working on and hoping to get rolling here pretty soon. We're starting with some of those checkpoints. Um, we're starting with uh, surveys at Go Live that are specifically about change management that are at the end of the project. Hey, here was your change management lead. 
Did you get what you needed from change management? Are your people ready for the adoption? Do you need anything else from the people readiness standpoint? Because we're also going to step back from this. You know, we're trying to get the business to also understand we don't own this in perpetuity. We are our change management. We're here to do some things and we're here to enable some things. And the things that we're here to enable, you now own. So we did the things we came to do, <laughs> the communication, the training, the adoption readiness, and the things that we were here to enable, you now own them. So Godspeed, <laughs> but let us know if you're good. So, yeah. That, that is absolutely amazing. This, this last few minutes of what you just explained with this plan that you're implementing now, I think is like a clinic on how to think about this the right way. And whether it should be 60, 90 and one day checkpoints and that kind of stuff, that's, that's right. going to be up to the organization and what makes sense for the project and, and your organization. But what you just described is missing in probably like 90% of the enterprise technology projects I've seen implemented. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, it, you know, I always say it's, it's not really super complicated, right? It's not easy but it's simple. It's simple. If we just think about it and put together a checklist, like you just described for us, I think that is absolutely fascinating. And one of the biggest things that you said that I got so excited about is bringing in the line of business ownership early in the, in the project. And and I've often said that there's, there's just something that seems broken to me and I don't claim to be an expert on, on how to solve this, but the way that we have such a stark delineation between an IT project team that's rolling out new technology and then this the business as usual phase or the sustained phase or whatever we call that. There's like this gap between those two phases, it seems, as big as the Grand Canyon. And it's not, we haven't done a very good job of creating bridges between those two phases. It's like the project team's like, okay, I'm cleaning my hands. I'm moving on exactly as you said. And then the business is like, Hey, where did everybody go? (laughs) And so the way that you describe bringing those folks in earlier in the process, I think is so meaningful and is really something that can be done with very little cost, very low complexity, but would have such a material impact to make sure that there's a very smooth handoff, like a, like runners in a relay, like we're handing the baton over as we're running together. And then at some point I'm going to let go and you're going to have to take it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that relay analogy. Absolutely. I mean, fingers crossed we can, you know, it works as designed, right. When we start to connect with the business, we've had a couple of projects where we've done that, that upfront business ownership conversations and map that out. Um, But the responsibility is still on the business to say, we've put names in boxes. Yeah. Take the boxes to the people and confirm that they're going to own it. And we're going to make sure we prepare them through the course of this project. Um, but yeah, I agree with you that that relay, um, it's dropped a lot, right? Yeah, it really <laughs> is. Well, I, I feel like what's missing in my observations is that there is even a, a proactive plan to say, hey, at some point, the first runner has to hand this baton off to the second runner. Like it, it just doesn't seem like that conversation even really happens. Yeah. It seems like when the first runner has finished their leg, then it's like, Hey, where's the person I'm supposed to hand this off to? You know yeah. what I mean? Like if you could just, I haven't really thought about this, uh, this analogy until now, but like, if you, if you could imagine a runner standing there in the track saying, Hey, where's my number two. Right. Yeah. Sure. And it, it kind of yeah. seems like that's how it happens a lot of times. And so there's yeah. this fumbling and a frustration by my friends on yeah. the IT side of the house 
which are like, listen, we don't have any more funding. This project's over. You know, our leadership is telling us we got to move on to 12 other things right now, but the business isn't picking it up. And I think just to get back to something you talked about earlier is the people that I think are most affected by that are the men and women on the front lines. So we can't hold them accountable. So this is something you said right out of the gate. Frontline workers are the ones who determine if the change is successful, but we're doing them a disservice if we have this dysfunction in the organization where we're not preparing and allowing them to be successful because we all, whether we're in IT or in line of business leadership, we all have a responsibility to support them organizationally. And if we're not doing our part, then we can't hold them accountable to that success. Yeah. 200%. Totally agree with you. I think that we, you know, on the the frontline side of it, we like, we shorten their runway to adopt change. I think we forget that the leaders who are deciding on what change is going to happen have gone through the change journey as the, the decisions are being made. They, they've already gone through that whole cycle of the change journey. And then we roll it out and want to shorten the change journey. We want them to come along and get their, um, you know, for the employees. And, you know, they get that gets shortened and we're not supporting them. We're not giving them the same amount of time to be supported, to be ready. And yeah, when things don't work well, it is, it all falls on them to, you know, to your earlier point, to adjust, to fix, to go back and do the rework, to do workarounds, um, until to keep doing their work because just cause things, just cause the tools don't work, the, the job doesn't stop. Right. <laughs> um, so while people are still going back and fixing the tools, um, you know, the, the work has to keep going. And yes. The and the and IT employees, those are frontline workers too, right? I mean, they're yeah. not deskless workers, but they also have to go back and if we don't have those conversations and that partnership with the business, they are also going back and doing work that the business should own. Right. And so we have to, we absolutely have to have those handoffs between the IT organization, the business owners, our frontline workers. So everyone is ready for their handoff when it's there. So they're not over the concession stand when we're right. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) Looking for that handoff. I think you and I are going to be searching stock photography after today to look for a picture of somebody handing off a baton. Yeah, so we can put it in a PowerPoint. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, so you you just reminded me of something else. One of my uh, one of our colleagues and the co-host of this show, Gene, uh, wrote an article, a blog post. This is going back a couple few years ago now, and and it was titled something along the lines of um, marriage counseling for IT in the business or something along those lines, right? And we really felt at times as outside consultants to our customers that sometimes we found ourselves in this role. And I can remember a specific example when we were sitting in the room and we had the VP of the business and we had the VP of IT squared off on opposite sides of the table. And we were in there as consultants, kind of talking them through some of these initiatives that they were going through. And it was, it was kind of like this dramatic standoff, like uh, because IT didn't have resources to support the business any longer and the business didn't have resources, but they were already midway through this change. And it was way, way too late in the process for this mm-hmm. conversation to be happening. Right. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, of course, as always, we, you know, kind of rob Peter to pay Paul kind of thing, like we're moving resources around so that somebody can go and fill the gap. But that scenario could have been avoided and it could have been so much more streamlined had those things been talked through at the beginning of the project. Mm-hmm. And I said something recently, I, I was fortunate to have a um, 
speaking uh, opportunity recently where I was talking to some folks and this, these words came out of my mouth that I hadn't said before, but it was, if you don't have the time and resources to invest in change management at the onset of the project, you should not do the project because to do it anyway is to set yourself up on a path for failure. And those words kind of slipped out of my mouth, um, you know, where I hadn't really thought much about what I was saying at that moment, but I've actually come to realize that is, I really believe it to be true. Mm -hmm. You are setting yourself and the organization and especially the men and women on the front lines up to fail right. or to be incredibly frustrated. And ultimately you're not going to um, reach your objectives anyway. Yeah. If you don't put some of this planning in place. And I've even said this to customers, you know, I, I have a, we have a business called skillful where we have some tooling that can help solve some of this, but I've even said to my customers, if you just implement skillful as if it's some kind of silver bullet and you don't wrap around it, a solid communication and change management plan, then it's just going to be another piece of software that's right. going to fail in your environment, right? There's no sense in doing that. So what you're bringing to the table, I think is such a well thought out pragmatic approach um, it won't be executed perfectly every time. I wouldn't expect that, but to have that structure in place is going to really set you up for success. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. And, you know, and to your point around the having, you know, the business night see a different sides of the table and then their employees are right in the middle of that. Right. Yes. They're, they're just, they're saying, just give us, either give us a new tool or make the old one work or tell us what you want. <laughs> tell us what you want us to do. What yes. What are we doing? What does my world look like? Do you want me to do this thing or do you not? Is it coming or is it not coming? Um, which is not, you know, and that's not fair to them because we're just introducing more instability into right now, especially an environment that's already, when I talked about that cognitive overload over at, at first, we're just adding to the overload that they're already trying to manage in their day to day. Exactly. Exactly. You, you mentioned something before you asked a question, you, you were talking about the surveys at go live specifically around change management. Um, and, and you, you posed the question, are your people ready for adoption? Mm -hmm. And, and I'd love to explore that's near and dear to, to us in our business at skillful. And I'm curious to hear how you are, are solving for that today. How do you ensure that there's a, a level of readiness that's satisfactory. And do you set thresholds on what that readiness level should be before you actually green light a go live? Talk me through that a little bit. Um, I mean, it's challenging, certainly, uh, depending on the size of the project. And, you know, I mentioned we try to have business champions uh, associated aligned with their project. So trying to have someone from each department. And that person is typically involved in testing as well. So when we have our user acceptance testing, um, having that person be part of the either have helping to write testing scenarios or be part of the testing so that they can call out issues that they see, uh, be part of the training as well. And so they're kind of the representative for their team and going through each of the, the different departments that are being impacted and having that conversation. We, we have you know regular meetings, their regular check-ins with the project team as part of those conversations, which are largely going to be IT based, people are always going to be based on this focus on the system, right? So yep. it's the yep. work, everything done. Um, but making sure part of that conversation is at least, hey, finance spot, finance champion, are people good? Did everyone complete their training? Are you good on the testing? Uh, as we get ready to go through that go, no go stage gates, that is part of our requirement. One of the benefits I enjoy is that we have a centralized PMO and we have change management requirements as part of that PMO. 
And um, so as part of our stage gates, there are requirements for change management. So at stage gate, you know, two, before, when we start to go into funding, our PMO manager is saying, hey, where's your change management plan and your communication plan? Because that's a deliverable for the stage gate. Um, and not every project requires change management. If it's smaller and we can say, you know, your business lead can handle the communication, it's fine. But if we have larger strategic projects, there's an expectation that you are planning for change management. You are budgeting for change management up front and it's part of our requirements. And so when we get to that last stage gate before go live, um, you know, I received an email just last week from our, our PMO lead saying, hey, you're change, the change lead for this project, because I'm not always the change lead, the change lead from your team, we need to make sure we didn't get all of the go, no go for all the groups. And so I'm doing that follow-up just to make sure we have that. But we do rely on our business to say, you know, I've checked in with my, our teams. We're good on testing. We're good on training. We feel like we're ready. And so when, when that go, no go conversation happens with leadership, there is a table that shows red, yellow, or green for mm -hmm. impacted groups. And if it's red or yellow, what still needs to happen for this for this audience? That's not always going to stop a project. Most often, it's probably not going to stop. No one's going to say, "Oh, the finance organization or the man, the supply chain organization, everyone didn't finish their training yet, so we're probably not going to go live with this." It's going to be make sure we have a solve ready so that everyone in supply chain is getting their training completed by X Y Z date. So, yeah. Let me ask you about that. Because that's a really interesting statement that you just mm -hmm. said. Yeah, if the, I don't if agree the, with it. Okay, okay so that was, yeah. that was going to be my first question. <laughs> because if if the data, so let's say it was an IT, uh, you know, a, a systems capability. If the if the database was blowing up, then we yeah. would just say, well, we're not going to go live, right? Because we have a technical mm -hmm. issue that's preventing us from going live. Right, right. But now you just said it that perhaps a a portion of the workforce that's truly not ready. Mm -hmm. That's not going to stop a project from going live. So because the database is working, because all the ones and zeros are flying through the network, okay, we're going to say, hey, let's just, let's go anyway, right? Even though the human side isn't really in place. And I- No, that's not always I, the case. But so there, yeah, are so some, let, there are yeah, yeah, go on. Well, no, I just want to talk through it a little yeah. bit. What, what are, because it sounds crazy when we talk about it, right? Right, right? When you and I are sitting here in the podcast and we don't have a project hanging over our heads, it's easy to say, <laughs> well, you should never do yeah. that. But yet right. it happens every single day. All the time. Yeah. And I'm not saying in your organization, I'm saying it happens around the <laughs> yeah. world every day. It's happening right now. Somebody's going live today on the 24th of May with a project right. that should yeah, be nobody's going ready. Live. Nobody's ready. Yes. So yeah. why does it happen? And why do we think that we can't make the case with leadership and, and the folks that are kind of driving to the deadlines to say, well, yeah. that this is going to, we're going to actually set ourselves yeah. back because of mm -hmm. this. I think it happens because, um, Leaders get this mindset that change is hard. Change is hard. You know, we always hear that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think when they get that mindset that change is hard, it means that everything about the change is hard. And so we just put all of our focus on meeting timeline and budget. So as long as timeline and budget are met, we're good because the change piece is too hard and we have to figure that out. And that's going to be a journey. That's a continuous journey. And yes, change is a journey. But it's a journey that has some checkpoints and some stops. And right now, our first stop is, are people, I think the conversation is often, are people ready enough? Yeah. And so even though we'll have, and, and when I say there, there could be some, if I use like this supply chain example, 
And we say there are some people in the supply chain who haven't completed their training. Have enough of them done it? So there's always those, those discussions, or should be. Are they ready enough? So if we say there are some groups that we feel like we need to circle back on. Okay, that's fine. Have enough, the people who have to use the system, do they know how to use it? Okay, let's go lie. But are we at risk that, you know, we're gonna have to stop work because this is gonna go live next week and somebody's not gonna know how to push this through production? Then that's a problem. Right. So it definitely right. requires more conversation. But I do think it's that people get in the mindset of change is hard. And so let's focus on the tactical things we can do. Did we hit timeline and budget? We're good. Yeah. I, I actually, think it's a very fair qualifier to say, are people ready enough? Adding the word enough, I think is fair. Mm -hmm. I think at least we're asking ourselves that question, right? And then somebody at some point has to say, well, what does enough mean, right? Uh, uh, Somebody who I I met this year, who's already become a, a great friend, Kurt Swain, used a terminology that I really liked, which is minimum viable proficiency. Mm-hmm. We hear about MVP as like a minimum viable product, but he flipped right. it around and said minimum viable proficiency. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a widely used term, but I hadn't heard it before. Kurt mentioned it to me. And what I, I really connected with that because I said, getting everybody to expert level knowledge before go live isn't necessarily realistic. It's probably not achievable. So that's a goal that's probably too high. But what is a minimum viable proficiency that it would allow us to get into this go live, keep the business running, keep the lights on, keep things moving and not inject so much stress and frustration and rework ultimately more cost Mm -hmm. that we can say, okay, let's get them into this. And now let's have a plan in place that we continue to come back in and add more skills over time to really refine that. Is that, does that seem viable to you? Is that, is that part of what you are thinking of when you're thinking of kind of, are they ready enough? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Skills that people will have to develop to get to the level of expertise, as you said, but there are things, and we've had those conversations. We've gotten behind on a training schedule and have said, look, we can't do everything by go live. Nobody, they're not gonna move go live because training is behind. So what do they have to know how to do the day it goes live? Yep. Do that, you know, reduce the training plan, determine what skills have to be had the day of go live, and then we'll figure out the rest later. Yep. Um, so I completely agree with you of as long, we need to make sure people are ready when the, when the switch flips on their new world. Yes. And, and to the other point about that, that we've talked about a lot is if we go with the approach of minimum viable proficiency, we're, we're accepting that there are some things that they won't know that they may need to know, or might be good for them to know. So how do they go get that information when they need it on the fly? Right. So Mm -hmm. now they're in the the flow of their work. You've gone live on Monday, the first as planned. They do have that minimum viable proficiency, but there are a few things that come up that maybe Mm -hmm. are those edge cases, but they still need to have a place that they can go to get that information. Right. And Mm -hmm. whatever method that is, we need to make sure that we're communicating to the men and women that are affected by this to say, if something comes up that we haven't gotten a chance to train you on yet, here's where you're going to go to get some help for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully there are, you know, business champions who've been part of the project and they can serve that role or that's the place yeah. where your change champion stays involved through hypercare versus right. rolling off, off earlier. So yeah, absolutely. Right. I have the backup plan ready. Yeah. I, I want to go back to your psychology background. Um, we're already kind of running up on time here, but I, I didn't want to let this go. Um, I have no background in psychology whatsoever, but I'm fascinated by the study of it. 
particularly around organizational psychology. And I, I just wonder if there's something that you learned, and I'd love it if it was specific to frontline workers, that maybe the rest of us that don't have a background in psychology and haven't spent time doing R&D, is there something that comes to your mind as one of the biggest myths or misunderstandings that most of us have that when you got to do some of the work that you were doing and spending time, as you talked about, really kind of watching them interact with the technology and the tooling that they were doing, did you come away with any insights that you think most of us just don't get? Um, well, that's a good question. I don't know if there are you know, insights that most of us don't get necessarily, but I do think there are um, working with experts, different experts in fields, just understanding the way that they process information. It's not that they know so much more than someone who is less experienced or um, have so much more book knowledge or whatever the case may be, but it's being able to recognize cues or data or information and put those things together in a story in ways that other people can't do, but we can help people do those things. We can help people see, you know, when, when something in a, in a job or a role, you know, one of the things I worked with, one group I worked with, um, I mentioned control room operators and it was at, um, at uh, petrochemical plants, which was such a fun group in Texas and spending time with those men and women, you know, on their night shift and sitting there with them that they're looking to pay attention to if something is overheating, you know, and I'm looking at the same data points as them and they're like, oh, this number just jumped in a certain amount of time that concerns me for XYZ reasons. And it's interesting because when you think about training, people are typically trained for the day-to-day -day operations. They aren't trained for the emergency situations. And that's one of the things that I think about on the, the training and skill development side is we also have to make sure people are ready for the, the anomaly situation. And how are they gonna have a tool there when the whole system shuts down, what do they do? Do we prepare people for the unique situation that they haven't been in before? And spending time with those more skilled people kind of on their role, on the job, thinking about when we change this process, how's it gonna affect things? If we don't do that job day to day, we wouldn't know. But someone who does that job day to day could say, well, it's not gonna hurt anything daily, but man, if X, Y, Z happens and this person isn't part of the process anymore, that's gonna be an issue. Or we don't do this anymore, that's gonna be an issue. So I think there are just outliers that make it really important for us to engage our frontline workers in the process because we can't know all the things that those people who are doing the job day to day would understand that we might say there are nuances in a process that if we change it, it seems like it's insignificant, but it could be a really big issue down the line that nobody on the project plan knew could happen. That is a fantastic point for us to, to wrap up with because I think when, when you talked earlier about the trust side of, of change, I think that is a way that we kind of the folks from corporate that are implementing change, maybe on the front lines can really just blow that trust up when we come out and say, Hey, we're going to implement this new thing. It's, it's really not going to be that difficult. Right. And we're minimizing all that nuance that they know about. 
is in their mind when they're hearing and filtering all the things that we're saying, like, Hey, we're just going to change this couple of screens in this application. And you're just going to do this and you're just going to do that. And it's, it's, it's actually going to make your job easier. Right. We're saying all those kinds of things, but in their mind, they have the, the luxury or the burden, depending on how you think of it, of, of knowing what they know. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they're processing this through saying, yeah, but what if, but what if that, what if this happens when we're trying to do this new thing? And I think that's just a, you started it off by saying just that the cognitive overload of, you know, we're trying to inject this change and they've got to still, um, you know, we want them to be experts in doing those things that they're experts at. Right. So it's, it's a lot of overload at one time. Yeah. Yeah. One of my, my former CEO used to say, hire great people and let them be great. And we need to stop minimizing, getting in the way of people doing great work. <laughs> so, yeah. and I don't think we, I don't think it happens intentionally, but mm-hmm. there are, um, we can get better. And I think, I think all the work that you're doing, the information you're sharing is helping us get better at doing it. So, yeah, well, thank you for that. I, I hope we're having at least a little bit of an impact. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really fun to have these conversations and, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time today to share some of your insights. Um, what you described earlier, I think is just a clinic. We need to write that up as a checklist or something. I hope we're not sharing your confidential internal information from Cal Corporation, but it sounds like just a really good structure that I think a lot of our listeners on the show, and I know our team could benefit from, from really just having some of those ideas that we can bring to, to new project implementations. And I think it really just boils down to, as we say all the time, it's not complex. It's actually fairly simple. It's not easy to implement because these are big ships that we're trying to, to turn and, and approach things in a new way. Um, but with that checklist of, of things that you really put in place to kind of bridge the business and IT together and to have some proactive involvement from line of business in the earlier phases of a project, um, I think that can have just like an outsized impact for a relatively small investment of, of time and, and activity, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, we do need to wrap it up there. Danielle, thank you so very much for the time today. I hope our audience has found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. I'm quite certain that they will uh, after hearing this episode. So please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are out innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skyllful.com. And we're always looking for new guests on the show. So if you know someone out there that's innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear their story. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and uh, make an introduction or tell me who you are. And uh, maybe we'll get you on the show very soon. Danielle, thanks again for your time today. Thank you. Thanks.